Welcome to today's episode of Innovator Speaks. Our guest today is Vyasateja Rao. He is the founder and creative director at Analogy Design. He has over 13 years of experience in industrial design. He has worked with Fortune 500 companies in various places globally, including the United States, Hong Kong, China, Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, and India. He has a Master of Industrial Design graduate degree from North Carolina State University. Apart from this, he has been awarded patents for his various designs. He has won international design awards, including Red Dot Design Award, Industat, IBDC, IBD Award, Singapore Design Award, and many others. His clients include various brands such as Panasonic, Amazon, Marvel, and other leading companies. Welcome, VT. Thank you, Darshan. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. Tell us your story. I see that you did a bachelor's in mechanical engineering way back in 2003. You worked in between and you eventually went into industrial design. What was that transition like and why did you pursue a career in design? So, yeah, I mean, um, to, to start with, um, you know, as, as pretty much every, um, you know, Indian um, who would have probably thought they were doing design, uh, right? I started in engineering, right? So um, from an early age, my family has a has quite a good background of art, engineering. Uh, one of my uncles used to build uh, motorcycles for Java. And you would bring these really huge, um, you know, these were meant for the Czechoslovakian police force. So you would bring these huge motorcycles home when I was a very little kid. And so um, I was very fascinated and passionate about uh, these kind of objects from the start. Uh, my aunt is a, uh, you know, a Ganjifa National Award uh, painter um, and so on and so forth. A lot of uh, one of my, um, you know, maternal grandfather, he used to paint for the uh, uh, Maharajas in Mysore. Um, so there's a, there's a huge, you know, combination influence of uh, art engineering and all of that uh, my dad loved building houses and you know my mom she loves sketching all these rangoli patterns and so forth so uh, that was always there but i never knew about industrial design or design as a as a branch as such right so it was always um, you know the more typical forms uh, of engineering uh, and so i naturally took that route and Mechanical graduated out in 2003, um, and uh, typically, you know, I was placed um, uh, on a campus role, uh, campus placement as such for my college. Uh, a great salary, but um, you know, I was doing something entirely different from what I went to school for. Um, it was it was really weird. Um, it was crazy hours, and you know, uh, I was I was sleeping in the. Uh, uh, there was this small balcony set that a couple of my friends uh, in their house, I was sleeping in there because my hours were very odd. Uh, and I would, I would go in at the hours in the morning and there was no, there was no clear uh, distinction uh, in that. It was, uh, I, I used to work at a company called Digital Global Soft. That was my very first uh, job. Uh, two months down the line, I couldn't figure out what I was doing still. And so I, uh, I quit that job and I joined a very small uh, engineering services company called Easy Engineering. And um, that was my first exposure to uh, industrial design. I got deputed to the uh, very first technical center that uh, General Motors built in India, in Bangalore. And we were working on all these advanced uh, vehicle platforms. Um, 
and it sounds amazing when i say that but um, we were doing uh, you know some sort of assembly uh, level work and it wasn't i mean we were fresh graduates right like you don't expect us to be designing engines or powertrains at that point of time but nevertheless the exposure um, to such an environment was incredible i mean that really you know gave me the platform um, from where I, I discovered industrial design uh, they had an in-house styling team and um, i met a lot of great uh, industrial designers and i really came to know about what industrial design as a field was and uh, mr satyasiran who is the uh, now uh, vp of design at ashok leland uh, he was my first mentor who basically ran me through you know what industrial design is uh, their process how i learned sketching from him uh, it was it was amazing because uh, his son would be sitting on one side um, doing his homework and i would be on the other side uh, sketching and it was very patient taught me how to really you know think beyond just sketching and you know uh, i was very conflicted at that time because as an engineer um, you know you would you would basically just understand only functional things or you would only look at the world in a certain way but he really taught me how to break out of that mold and really think wide and you know uh, extremely extremely good like he taught me that there was beauty in imperfection also right like whenever i would make a mistake i would take a eraser and try to uh, erase it out and he was like don't use don't use um, you know your pencil just stop here's a ballpoint pen why don't you start sketching with that right so it was it was amazing like his his uh, mentorship his patronage at that time was extremely useful and exactly what i wanted um built my portfolio and applied to a bunch of schools i think uh, ccs um dap in cincinnati uh, auburn uh, virginia tech and nc state uh, were predominantly where i applied for and i fortunately got through uh, nc state i'm sure um, you know you're a you're an alumni of nc state so i'm sure you know um, definitely that very closely so yeah my first interaction was with brian lafitte uh, who i consider uh, the god of sketching even till today i've never seen anyone just you know make magic out of nothing i mean brian would just have a marker and uh, a ballpoint pen so when i graduated he gave me this little very small postcard that he put together in like half an hour um, he just told me to wait outside and you know uh, there's this really cool motorcycle sketch that he did uh, he placed a couple of gears on the um, uh, on the, the piece of paper that he was sketching for me um, and he sketched the whole motorbike around that and uh, i still have it and the words said uh, you know with great respect uh, to bt and uh, it's, it's a very emotional moment when i talk about that because again like i said uh, i've i've met some incredible people at nc state so uh, i was really fortunate to work under sharon joins i think you know her from the uh, economics Oh um, yes, definitely. Yeah, so she, Sharon ran the research and ergonomics design lab called the Red Lab. So I was very fortunate to work under her as a research assistant. Um obviously the infamous Bongil Jin was there, so I learned a lot from him, a lot of my uh philosophies, thinking, uh sketching style, everything Bong helped a lot. Uh, it sounds really weird to say that, but Professor Bong was amazing. He was It was really, really good, and uh, kind of gave me that confidence. Um, you know, as as a growing uh, designer, helped me unlearn a lot of engineering. Um, you know, helped me think in a in a very uh, different way um, at NC State. So, 
and then obviously like i i still i'm still in touch with a lot of my friends from nc state who you know uh, have been uh, extremely good in terms of influencing what i wanted to do and encouraging me and stuff like that um my first job was at a, uh, a very small startup at that time called quirky uh, quirky was a social product development platform and uh, yeah i i it was a it was a crazy time when i graduated out because i think it was the recession and um, you know um, i think you relate to that as well yes, 2007 yes <laughs> exactly and That's so excellent. yeah i i still remember i had this excel sheet of um, i think i did 550 applications or so um, and then you know it was like this crazy um, permutation combination of this is these are my dream companies this these are companies that i think i can get into these are companies that you know definitely will have me but none of that worked at the end of the day at the end of the day it was just like you know i was just applying doing different portfolios and sending it out and i was very fortunate to you know get a job offer with quirky so i moved to new york That's awesome. uh, yeah i was in manhattan on avenue a in a very small um, office building there were like six or seven of us um one mechanical engineer i was the industrial designer and uh, you know we had this really grand plan of uh, you know designing a huge amount of products in a in a week right like and then uh, as a as a young designer very you know green and obviously very uh, excited to uh, showcase my ability and, you know prove that I'm, i'm i'm really good at design i was like yeah sure let's do it but then reality just hit very quick and very hard because it was not it was not possible to just design like you know six seven products in seven days right it's it's just unrealistic so um yeah like that was a very interesting experience because again new york is um you know a, a place that has uh, an amazing set of people and you know i i met a lot of good um, designers there um, also some who eventually helped me navigate um, the, the world of industrial design also as i grew from a, being a young designer to uh, you know uh, going through the paces of it so um, eventually uh, i it didn't work out so well at quirky and uh, you know i i knew it was coming my um, my boss at that time he gave me a call um, i think he was flying out some somewhere and he gave me a call from the airport and said like hey this is really not working out uh, we need somebody who's going to be able to do things at a much quicker pace um and so i just realized that you know um, it was it was a combination of uh, speed confidence practice that you need to have uh, and and also present something with clarity so i agreed with uh, with him and i said you know what hey we should we should just uh, part ways and that was my first um you know hit to reality saying like oh my god like this is something entirely different it's it's not as easy as i thought it's not just me sitting at a desk and sketching for hours um, you really need to deliver stuff right like so um i i moved on and then i moved on to atlanta where uh, you know again i was fortunate um uh, the the previous boss that i worked for he put me in touch with uh, uh, the founder at casemate um mr shashi reddy who is again a very very uh, amazing amazing person to talk uh and you know he gave me a job and i started all over again uh just a couple months down the line and again like i was uh, i was working 
uh, on um, sketching, coming up with new ideas, presenting it to um, you know clients. Um, they're working with their factories, working with their warehouse, and I was just a you know a, a single industrial designer. And later, I was joined by um, Alex Marshall, who was already hired. Uh, he w- he was at SCAD, and he joined. Fantastic industrial designer. Uh, and at that time, I even though I had more experience than him, um, and I thought like you know I had to be in a lead position and help him out. I learned so much from Alex. Alex was uh, amazing with visualization, with sketching his ideas. Uh, it, it was great. And and Casemate defined uh, a lot of my personality and skills that I have today because I just didn't work only in design. I went from design. To engineering, I, I worked with um, marketing departments. I've worked with operations. Um, I have done sales presentations to customers um, with the sales director. He would take me along with him, uh, and we had a great team of graphic designers there. Uh, a really good, um, you know, creative department, uh, and and yeah, overall amazing company that that I worked with. And you know, um, I I even I even um, got the chance to go to China, work with factories there. And, and that shaped a lot of my, um, you know, understanding and career as it is today, because uh, I learned that, you know, sitting at a desk and sketching for hours or just building a CAD model, it all could go extremely wrong in just a moment of time, the moment you enter a factory, right? Like or a manufacturing unit. Uh, some of the questions that come up from engineers there or like, you know, how are you going to make it? Uh, what material are you going to make it out of? Can you select one from our library that we have? There's, there's also a lot of logistics around what kind of materials are available as well, right? Like, And then you also have business objectives to meet. You've got targets to meet. You've got to get product in by a certain time, but then you don't have the materials available. Um, so it was it was this you know navigation uh, of this complex maze of different people, different disciplines, different things. And, and that really honestly set me up for entrepreneurship in a huge, huge way. Right. Like it was, it was great. Like I made some extremely good relationships, um, learned a lot from a, a whole bunch of people. Um, and then, um, I, I came down to India at some point of time, my dad turned 65 and he said, um, Hey, um, you know, um, you should, you should think of coming back because, um, you should spend time with us when we are in our best and not when we are at our worst. And that kind of really hit home uh, for both me and my wife. And we kind of made the decision to say that, hey, you know what, uh, let's move back to India. And, and the idea was I would continue to work remotely uh, with people that I've been working at and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, um, but then, um, yeah, like we just we just packed up in two three weeks and just left and you know I quit my job and uh, moved back to India and um, again like through people that I knew um, I got an opportunity to meet with the um, chief product officer at Solaris and um, before we left obviously so I, I sat down had a had a good chat and then uh, before I knew I was I was at Solaris we were discussing what are new product lines uh, I told them what was wrong from my perspective, uh, what should be updated, what should be refined. Uh, and suddenly I'm working on the rebranding of the company. Um, I'm, I'm working on new product lines. Um, I'm working on, uh, you know, with the 
marketing director at that point of time uh, joe cardillo uh, we i was i was working on some new marketing campaigns and it was all it just all started immediately uh, straight away so um, i guess he was my uh, first unofficial client as such you could call it so that wow. point, I, i started consulting um he's he's still uh, one of our clients by the way so solaris we still work very closely with the team at solaris and we still work on a lot of projects and products for them uh but it was a fantastic experience so um you know again Excellent. the same yeah. cycle was there uh, i started doing uh, things in a different way things that i thought had to be done um at the same time i was also working um, you know uh, on other ideas and things that i wanted to start off with um but also uh, after that i was a contract creative director for poetic cases in san francisco again here um branding rebranding the company working on the design language for various products that they had combination of business strategy marketing and design and i really enjoyed doing that um so um, you know i did that for a couple of years and um, then it kind of dawned on me that hey you know what and at this time i was just a solopreneur uh, working with a two to three different clients uh, was very happy i mean i had my own schedule um, we um, you know woke up at a certain time i had i could go for a run in the morning i would come back i could if i wanted to cook at some point of time i would if we had to go go out somewhere uh, it was great like so i fully embraced the whole entrepreneurship thing and i was great like like i said it was just a solopreneur journey but then i decided that hey you know what um, let's expand and um, that's when uh, you know i i founded artifact design which is what we were previously called before we branded to analogy and uh, yeah i guess that's the yeah that's the whole <laughs> wow story yeah that's a lot to unpack i have to tell the listeners that me and vt are alumni of ncsu college of design we share a lot of the same professors though we graduated more than a decade apart most of the experiences you mentioned the influences the mentors you had growing up i closely relate to that well you answered my next question on how you began analogy design but why analogy as the name yeah so um, the the interesting part about um, what um, analogies are there, there there are two parts to this so um, one was uh, one is that um, you know i personally use analogies uh, to explain a lot of things uh, to people so uh, it, it it serves as a very good comparison uh, for me and i i can get my point across uh, extremely easily i i don't know when i developed this habit but it's always been um, there uh, and it's very close to me um, as 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 a person so uh, a lot of my philosophies and thinking is also defined uh through analogies uh but if you actually look at the term analogies right like so uh, what exactly uh, are they like if you you also have something uh, a common thing that we get is hey um how are analogies uh different than metaphors right like so are they the same things but they they kind of in a way but a lot of metaphors um basically form analogies right like so the biggest difference i would say is metaphors um are you know help you feel but analogies help you think right so um a, a lot of this uh, you know thinking and thought process um was with me um 
when we were doing it, we we use it also as designers, as industrial designers. Uh, we use a lot of analogies, consciously or subconsciously, to explain a concept, right? Like you uh, do your mood boards, um, you show uh, a certain concept, or like let's say a, a certain thing, and then you take what's good in that and you apply it to an, a completely different field, a completely different product, uh, and you try to freshen up something right so uh, when i went back to something like first principles of okay you know what how do we get there i think this is the term that really uh, stood out so um, you know that that is the first bit the second is if you look at you know wherever whichever phase you're in philosophically spiritually um, analogies are very common throughout life right and they create a very vivid image in the user's mind and it's a very simple way to create a memorable moment. So if I, instead of me telling you, hey, how's my um, story? So I, if I can just give you a very quick analogy, I, I could be like, hey, you know what? Um, I was like uh, the roadrunner um, in graduate school because it was just so quick. That image is more captured in your mind rather than my entire story, right? Like, so it's memories are very easy to, cre easy to create with analogies. Um, and that literally, um, you know, uh, that, that literally devices uh, that you can use to fix a certain idea in the in your user or your client's mind. Um, and, and it's a very logical argument. The difference between, again, a metaphor is that it's a figure of speech, right? But then an analogy is a logical argument. And that stays and you can easily make your point of view to a client, to a consumer or to a um, a stakeholder a lot easier than you can with, let's say, uh, with a metaphor or something like that. So that's that is the reason why um, uh, you know I chose analogy, and it's also very closely embedded in our uh, in our design frameworks, the way we think uh, overall. So yeah, that's that's how that's how the whole name came about. That's excellent. It's not just the deep meaning, but also it shows the process especially when you're talking to the client, it helps to immediately bring a picture into their mind. Using an analogy makes sense. When you started analogy, you mentioned it was just you and your wife. How did you build a team? What was that journey like? And who are your team members? So, yeah, naturally, um, uh, my, my wife, like I said, uh, she's an HR professional. So she was my first... Uh, I guess, uh, person that I was like, hey, you, we should do this. Um, but then, um, yeah, so looking at the team, um, uh, I think um, I should tell you a little bit about what we thought of uh, to start with, right? Like when, when we started Artifact, it was, um, it was more to be a multidisciplinary studio. Uh, I was very hungry to do a lot of things. I wanted to do branding. I wanted to work in retail design. I wanted to do packaging more. Uh, and so I wanted to really expand uh, my horizons as a designer and, and and go through the experiences of all these various disciplines. So initially we had the, we had a team of uh, extremely different people. I mean, there were developers, there were um, pattern makers. At one point of time, uh, we were designing a lot of backpacks and stuff like that. So uh, there were pattern makers, there were prototyping experts, um, there were manufacturing engineers. Um, to come back to where we are um, currently, I think uh, it's more like um, the the team uh, is, is a blend of um, different disciplines, which is still there, but 
like I said, uh, our verticals are much more focused right now with uh, industrial design and uh, digital design. So um, I, uh, when we look at the team, um, I think the first thing I went about was uh, looking at uh, portfolios, obviously, but it's a tough uh, one in India because in, when we, in 2015, when we started, um, there weren't as many um, new portfolios comparative to uh, international school standards, uh, you'd find the you find a lot of craft uh, portfolios, furniture design portfolios. You'd find a lot of accessory uh, portfolios, um, which did like jewelry and you know um, graphic, and it was a it was a blend of that. So uh, it was it's very hard for me to relate to that coming from a coming from the US, looking at uh, core industrial design portfolios where. You know, a simple uh, line weight out of line would get you rejected or a, a page composition without a hierarchy would actually get you rejected, right? Like, so it was very tough to find that. We took a lot of time almost, I think, when we started in October 2015, it took us eight months to find our first designer. And um, it was just a, a very constant process of uh, finding people, right? Like we, every single uh, day I would, sc- I would score hands I would look at uh, core flood I would look at uh, LinkedIn um, and people weren't posting that many portfolios I mean you'd find it surprising but people weren't posting so many portfolios uh, in 2015 2016 as much as they do today right so um, it was quite it was quite uh, hard to build that but we we built a quite quite a good uh, team we started talking to colleges a certain colleges. I did a couple of talks at um, these colleges also in MIT in Pune. Um, and, and we got our first batch of interns who eventually became full-time employees and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, building the building the team was a lot of fun and you know it's just been extremely, extremely uh, stressful as well. Uh, it, was, it was satisfying, but at the same time uh, very stressful as well. So it was a very persistent process where you ensured that you were trying to find the right person who matched your thought process. On one hand, you have the team, and on the other hand, it is the clients and customers. You mentioned that Celaris was your first customer, which happened through a reference and a discussion. How did you go about finding clients, or how did clients find you? And what would they typically ask for? So... Uh, in the initial days, it was a lot of outbound, um, uh, you know, marketing or reaching out. Like I would reach out um, because I was the only, let's say, credible source, right? And I, I had a, I had built a network of people as well who'd help me. They'd refer me to other companies and other people, and eventually that's how we ended up working with uh, a lot of clients. Uh, now. Mostly all of our clients uh, mainly come through our website. Um, so it's completely inbound right now uh, where people find us based on their interests and based on the based on our work. Um, and and uh, or most of the inquiries come through our website. Sometimes it's also through personal referrals and, and, and my network as well. Um, but predominantly all of the clients are through our uh, website. So we don't do any heavy marketing or we don't do ads or anything of that sort uh, maybe we should i don't know but um you know uh, it's it's mostly been through the work that we've done uh, so people recommend us to other people and that's how uh, most of our clients um, find us and um, 
the uh, typical ask is always i mean it's always a, a solution or an end outcome so um, typically most of our clients uh, that come in are centered around uh, smart objects smart products and connected devices so it's kind of like a blend of uh, a physical object uh, hmi and digital experiences digital interfaces um sometimes we do get the general id projects like hey we want to design a chair or um, i want to design a uh, you know a, a tape dispenser or some sort of a, a styling request also we have all the internals ready just help us design the outside uh, which we you know very respectfully tell the client that there are better people than us who can do such a thing for you at probably at a cheaper cost as well uh, so we really try to help clients navigate the complex world of design initially right like so um the typical ask sometimes ranges from let's say a, a very typical id project to a very traditional uh, ux project also uh, but we evaluate all of that on a case to case basis and only then take it up so but most of our most of our um, clients who come in are around these connected devices and smart objects um, sort of a thing right So let's say when a client approaches you for designing a connected device or any one of these projects, if you do accept to go ahead with the project, how do you go about mapping the deliverables? How do you approach the problem statement? What is that process? So a very strong philosophy of ours has always been that you know great products always are built with real problems, right? Like so. like you mentioned that problem statement is extremely extremely um important so uh, it takes it takes a lot of thought um writing uh, you know sometimes we rewrite a lot of the stuff uh, even before we um confirm a client there's a lot of research that we also do because when we get on these discovery calls um where we start talking to a client and we help them not only understand if the problem is relevant or not we also help them understand that their problem has merit right like so when they come in and say like hey we want to design um a toaster right like so the first question is like why why a toaster like you know like what made you think of it like is there a business opportunity so not only do we help them go through that and this is a this is a process that takes a couple of weeks where we have multiple calls set up with a client we do a lot of homework we have questionnaires uh, we have also um collaborative uh, workshop sessions on miro that we end up preparing and we also run the client through uh, you know a simple workshop so we we almost have an abstract concept uh, in mind when we go to a client and say like these are some of the possibilities as well right so um without that um, it, it's very hard to give the client a vision of whether their problem would be right or wrong so we we end up doing a lot of internal uh, work even before the project starts we do a lot of internal work around research um writing a, a creative brief uh researching some of the users uh asking a lot of questions so there's a lot of collaborative calls that happen between a client and us where we talk through this and there are a lot of typical um, you know uh conversations that also happen around pricing um what are the um, what are the guarantees that i have that if you guys work on this it will be successful uh, there's there's so much of those things that happen as well but when we look at problem statements um it's it's all about um uh, un- uncovering every single thing in a, in a discussion and and on a call and we generally do this on video calls because we want people to 
also understand that uh, we are invested in their problem, but at the same time, uh, we're not just uh, just jumping in and putting pen to paper and start putting solutions all all up. We evaluate all the perspectives, all the possibilities, um, consider the risks. We also present that to the client. Uh, we tell them what the pros are, what the cons are. Um, and most of the time, we do not start with any historical scene setting. We go in with a completely open mind of saying, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? So most of them are what if statements that start with these sort of things. What, you know, there are a lot of maybes. Um, and and we, we do these sessions predominantly um, with the client and internally, uh, we also have different teams, right? Like, so we have the ID team, we also have the digital team, and we work very closely with the leads there to figure out, you know, how do we structure the project? So, um, yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a a whole unification, or let's say, a whole process of these um, things before we even start writing a proper uh, requirement for the project or a brief for the project, and then you know start defining success metrics that we also verify with the client saying like, do you think if we go from point one, two, three, four, and five, do you feel that this would be successful, right? Like, so that also eliminates a lot of unnecessary, um, what do you call, um, interventions that happen before, like, you know, uh, we present a solution or a presentation or in the middle of the project, you don't want um, a complete 360 degree turn because you miscommunicated at the start of the project right so um the, the the initial process the project or the process that you just mentioned for coming up with a problem statement i feel is very important and um, yeah these are these are some of the things that we do uh, sometimes um it's a lot more organic where we start with asking a lot of questions and then eventually we go back and we come up with a, a workshop or a format that will help the client based on their uh, requirement also, so uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think the uh, problem statement part is is quite essential um, for any any designer. I feel, and and it's it's very important True. that we skip the preambles and start with uh, a very clear indication of what the customer problem is. Understand it, research it, then write it, rewrite it again, do some research, and then collaborate with the client very very closely to to be on the same page before we even kick off anything. Well, that makes complete sense. Uh, just like uh, any uh, industrial design project that I'm used to, where uh, we would uh, ensure that the user uh, is taken along that journey through every step of the way. It's important that the client also needs that handholding where you're genuinely trying to help them. Uh, exactly. You know, exactly. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's more like you said, it's um, like how you map a, a user's journey. We are mapping a, client or a product journey at the start before we even come up with the problem statement. Excellent. And I see that analogy is involved in designing both physical and digital products. How do you work on digital as against physical? Is the processes same in terms of how the thinking happens or is it very different? Um, so, like I said, it depends on the projects that we get. Um, most of our projects um, are a combination of digital and physical. So we have um, teams working very closely with each other. The main reason we have them as separate teams are because, um, you know, uh, you like industrial designers need to be mentored and guided by uh, someone who has experience in industrial design, who's a trained industrial designer and 
can navigate through that uh, just so that the deliverables the, the style of the output all of that is is in line with that uh, and it goes the same with visual design or digital design so um, but but it's not necessarily uh, different uh, most of the products that we work on typically have some sort of a hmi interface or uh, there's a screen or a connected app or some sort that um, really needs to be blended in from the start. So we don't start with a handoff after the product is done just to say like, hey guys, here you go. Why don't you build an app for this and so on and so forth. So um, both uh, team leads, um, ID is headed by Arun Kumar and then um, digital is headed by Joel uh, De Silva. So both of them uh, along with me, um, we first analyze the creative brief that I typically put together for a project yeah i still do creative briefs because i enjoy that process a lot um also anil who heads up um, engineering anil ramesh heads up engineering um all of us get together and we pretty much discuss the project from like what would we um, start with how do we you know what is the process or what is the approach like we don't have we don't believe in processes as such because processes kind of like they keep you constrained to doing things one way, right? And it, it gets monotonous over a period of time and, and the results are very, very monotonous also. So we generally work in broad frameworks. Um, and so for each project, let's say we put a framework together of, okay, this is what we're going to start with. Um, some projects might not need research. Uh, some projects might not need a lot of sketching. Uh, some projects we start off with, um, you know, building quick handmade prototypes to ascertain scale, form, proportion. So it very much depends on the project. Um, so we, we build frameworks for the projects, depending on the problems we've identified, uh, depending on the overall output that we need to deliver. And also the way in which we decide uh, the overall outcome should look like, right? Like, so there's a little bit of art direction also initially involved. Um, we also evaluate uh, materials. We also look at, can we do this instead of, let's say a typical uh, plastic? Can we introduce a, a new material in here? Would this actually help uh, drive uh, costs down or maybe drive engagement up or it would be a, a really good marketing feature to you know build upon the project or it's a sustainable alternative uh, based on the brand uh, that's that's doing it, so um, it's it's very much a, a very broad framework uh, that we put together. And uh, no, to to answer your question, it's it's not two separate uh, verticals. It's not two separate uh, processes as such. But it's it's kind of a blended approach um, to to start with both uh, digital and physical together. If it's a Got traditional it. ID project, yeah, then you you start with you know, your usual um, processes of research, then user research, then you've got uh, journey mapping. Um, you've got a lot of initial ideation that we start off with post-its and, um, you know, look at identifying problems first and then go into more deeper concept refinements and concept development with prototypes and so forth. Um, yeah, like, but the initial thought of, you know, when we, get the creative brief together is where all the magic happens. It's it's where we really put a lot of time and effort into thinking, okay, how do we start with so-and-so uh, project, right? Like what is, what does the client want? Is he comfortable with this sort of a thing? And that initial problem statement discovery process that we spoke about before, that helps drive a lot of these decisions. Also. All right.
since it's a blend of both physical and digital, it goes case by case. That makes sense. You have worked amongst different regions across the globe. What are some of the differences you have seen on how industrial design or product design is done in India as against the US or Hong Kong? Um, definitely, there is a there is a there is a difference. Um, I would say um, predominantly, it's in the uh, it's in the approach, right? Like so, one um, if I would if I can break it down, I think I'll probably break it down into two to three main. Um, let's say emotional uh, characteristics between uh, people there from an industry point of view i feel um, countries like the us or let's say the Sing- singapore or hong kong have a lot of good infrastructure around design right like they have government programs that um, you know help add value to what design is uh, you have organizations like IDSA in the U.S. who hold all these like annual conferences. Um, each zone, each district has a chapter. So you've got that support system. You've got that network uh, to kind of talk to people and, you know, make meaningful connections. Um, I I think India also is developing uh, that now. I mean, you have, uh, I think, ADI. There's also EIE as, a, as, a, as an organization who's bringing some... Uh, designers together um there are also a lot of good conferences happening in india like i think design up was one that i was very very uh, impressed with the way it was conducted the quality of speakers and overall how it was um, done but i think um, the, the other bigger thing that i miss in india versus the us are like let's say uh, going to moma or uh, let's say going to a, a red dot museum and just looking at the latest uh, products um, just you know actually seeing them in person uh, makes a huge amount of difference in terms of people I would say two main things one is risk um, let's say if we're working with clients outside uh, in the US or in, let's say in Singapore or in Taiwan or Hong Kong or any of these places um, the, the perception of risk or let's say the measure of risk um, the tolerance to risk is a lot higher versus in India, it's it's extremely low, right? Um, second thing is the exploratory nature of um, people, right? Like, so uh, in, in India, a lot of it is based on outputs rather than outcomes. And uh, let me explain what that difference is because um, in India, it'll be like, I want this, right? Uh, I want a... I want a, a hookah and I want it to do so-and-so things only. Um, but let's say if you work with somebody else, like it'd be more like, hey, I want to actually change the perception of people um, who are going out, right? Uh, so at that point, you could even you could come up with a hookah, you could come up with a, a mood lighting system. It could be a, a overall um, retail setup of this really amazing seating with, uh, you know, new screens or some sort of a cinematography, I mean, a cinematic experience of sort. So you're not, you're not constricted to an output, right? The outcome is to improve how people, uh, how you can enhance people's um, experience socially, right? Like that is the outcome. But let's say in India, we start with the output. Um, and also uh, the more important thing is um, saying that, oh, you know what? I want to, I want to get, all of the design things done in one shot, right? Like you start a project. Uh, so that's, I, I tell this to a lot of clients. It's, it's 
this is a this is a marathon if you're designing a product whether it's digital or physical it's a marathon it's not a sprint right so you can't finish it in one shot and uh, generally the way we plan it is we plan it with short term goals and long term goals and um, there is that awareness uh, in in other uh let's say countries of course you have i'm not generalizing saying that people in india do that all the time but uh, predominant amount of uh, experiences are let's start with this uh, and if, by the time we finish we should have a perfect product and there's no such thing as perfect product it doesn't it doesn't happen it, you need time you need to take user feedback you need to be able to put it into the market figure out what uh feedback you're getting from the market and and then you come back and you know refine and make changes and overall it's it's a it's a year or two uh, that you would take to really really build a very good product right um so i feel that those are the are predominantly the main differences um otherwise um from an educational point of view yeah i i feel that's a whole different podcast topic altogether um uh, you know talking about um, <laughs> education and the way um you know you see portfolios and so on and so forth but from an industry and client point of view i would say these these three things risk um like that's a tolerance to risk um awareness that it's a um, marathon and it's not a sprint and then you know um really having that uh, you know short term long term option right and planning for it is is the main difference that's awesome that's really i think that there are very few people out out there who would have that enough experience to articulate that i totally relate to the outputs versus outcomes back in design school the professors would challenge me to get outside that uh, engineering mindset where you have a solution for something it's like uh, don't design a vase but design a new way of perceiving flowers and that sort of framework uh, helps towards designing for outcomes yeah it's 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 also very prevalent in design schools right because when you start with young designers um nobody wants to design the tape dispenser that's in the foundation class everybody wants to go and solve world hunger what they don't understand is uh, for you to solve world hunger first you need to solve a tape dispenser right like if you can't really so i have <laughs> this good. i have this um, belief that you know there's no bad projects it's only your level of thinking that limits you to make a project back right like so the moment you give an intern a tape dispenser you see his face fall down and you're like oh god i wanted to actually you know create the next best thing and uh, that ambition is great but if you don't have the necessary skill sets if you don't have the foundation of you know how to start and make those mistakes right like so the mistakes that you might make with a tape dispenser are so much lesser in in our in in uh, let's say uh, impact um to let's say what you would do on a client project right like uh, you have real consequences on such projects you make a mistake you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in tooling uh, which would be wrong if you make a mistake a certain prototype might not do things the way it was supposed to do uh, so before you go there like going through these kinds of uh, things like you know actually outputs are are very important before you get to outcomes um but also in the real world you know people need to move from outputs to outcomes and um, looking at it would give you much more diverse solutions much better solutions it would be more meaningful also like who knows i mean you probably would have targeted let's say oh i'm going to make uh, 10 lakh rupees from this product you probably would end up with 10 crores you never know but you have to have an open mind um and that's what outcomes are versus outputs
outputs, right? So outputs are just commercial versus outcomes are how bigger brands and, you know, those kinds of things are built. So, yeah, that'll be very interesting to see how that evolves. These last two years has been tough for everyone. How did you and your team traverse through the pandemic? What were some of the fallbacks you had to rely on? Um, I think the only negative fallback uh, for the pandemic was um, we could not hire uh, or bring more people on board uh, according to our uh, plan that we had put in uh, place, right? Like um, the biggest, I would say the biggest effect the pandemic had was um, we had planned to set up our Singapore uh, studio and bring it live. And uh, that just came to a complete grinding halt um, because of COVID. And uh, that was that was a big blow. We, um, we had so many different uh, things lined up and, you know, um, there were also expectations set within the team that a certain amount of people had to move there. So that, that hit us hard in terms of morale and also, you know, it usually, it's, it's always disappointing when plans don't go according to how you've planned them. So that is a big negative um, consequence. But in hindsight, actually, the pandemic created a lot of good opportunities for us. And um, in terms of, let's say, financially, we didn't suffer, uh, we didn't let go of any people we didn't cut salaries we didn't do any of that sort of things we actually in fact we started doing more work uh, to be honest we got more work during the pandemic um we got to spend more time with our families like um, my daughter's just two years four months old i pretty much saw her grow from the day she was born and that experience is i mean invaluable priceless to me um also clients you know uh, they they've they've they're open to the fact now that things can be done remotely, right? Like they can actually be done over a video call versus you flying out somewhere and meeting somebody face to face. That trust of, uh, you know, working with somebody 10,000 miles away, uh, that visibility that comes uh, with it, the tools and the structure, um, that was all great. I mean, it was, it was, you know, uh, it had to be like, we were looking at like five years maybe of this, happening but the pandemic just completely accelerated that um and and uh, you know it was it was a great uh, i would say like a, a great positive result because of that um but no i don't have a lot of sad stories to talk about in terms of how our business is affected um or let's say did we lose clients or did we stop working none of that i mean we've been working non-stop throughout the pandemic um, we've all been working remotely. I think from Jan 10th in 2022 is when we'll uh, restart the studio, uh, bring everybody back. So probably around March is when things might get normal, depending on you know whether we have another uh, wave of COVID or not. Uh, but no, I, I don't think the pandemic uh, impacted us in a huge way at all. Right. That makes sense. It was an opportunity for people to invent themselves on a business scale and also on an individual scale. What do you look for in someone? Say you intend to hire or what would your advice be for aspiring designers? Um, I think for, um, let's say, people that we're bringing on um, to analogy, uh, we're, we're a small team. And, and when I say small, um, uh, we want to remain small. It's... Uh, it's something that I've always been comfortable with. Um, like I, I, I think people who've known me, I've, I've 
had this um, philosophy that uh, you know a design team should be like a special forces team um, you know each person in the team should be able to do a variety of things should be able to work if one person sick the other person should be able to just take up that and do it without any issues and that's who we look for we look for a uh, a wide variety of horizontal skill sets but then you're really really good at one um, you know extremely strong skill set that you have so the the vertical and horizontal things are very clearly defined um we i we always have like you know um, a higher impact with a smaller team it's more you've less red tape there's less bureaucratic stuff there's less processes um so it's flexible and nimble and that's how like maybe what we are thinking also is like you know 30 is what our max limit right now probably is going to look like um we have uh, you know we have industrial designers uh, ui guys visual designers uh, mechanical engineers es pms and a bunch of regular cross functional responsibilities throughout the team but let's say um, if we are looking for someone to bring on board uh, it's we just want somebody who's normal uh, you know like a, a person that you can go out with just have a beer you know, chill and just completely uh, this that is completely underrated in today's thing where everybody's trying to be uh, unique and show and get that opportunity um, in terms of in terms of skill sets um, uh, your base skills need to be extremely good like for example um like i said because of a small team we don't have that much time to let's say mentor someone or help them learn certain things and then traverse through their journey we prefer people who are extremely uh, skillful and who've got a lot of practice in ideation visual storytelling whether it's cad uh, skills or sketch renders or you know uh, key shot or any of that sort of thing um and it's very important to uh, you know have this mindset of uh, you know i want to iterate until it's perfect sort of thing so that's something that we look for very actively in anybody who comes in um iteration is part of the design process and if you don't have the patience for that then um, you know it's it it's it's very hard to work with our frameworks and the way we do things um and like i said it being independent and self reliant is very important um we're not going to ask you to do something that you don't know because obviously you would have gone through your portfolio skill sets um then uh, another very important thing is the ability to listen and apply objective feedback right it's it's so so important and a lot of people take feedback personally uh, we clarify that a lot saying you know feedback is not intended for you but the work you've done so um having that self awareness to distinguish objective feedback versus subjective feedback is very important uh, and last but not the least at all is time management and you know have a get it done attitude like uh, it's very important sometimes we have um, you know client requirements that come in and we'll have a couple of hours to put things together so if you still go with your oh i'm going to research then i'm going to ideate and then i'm going to do cad no it doesn't work you need to be able to move quickly and you know kind of get it done so that's kind of what we look at um my suggestion to uh, anybody who's looking to get into a regular job is again have your base skills extremely well defined like and well polished and be self aware i mean you guys have so many portfolios out there 
that you know are going to be much more accepted than yours right like how can you figure out what the difference between your portfolio is versus a very uh, good looking portfolio or a very skillful portfolio right like and try to you know bridge that gap as best as you can as you possibly can um, be really good at storytelling uh, because designers again design is all about stories right like so again that whole um, point that i made about output versus outcome is very important if you can actually uh, showcase an outcome versus just outputs outputs are impo- are important but you know like if you're able to transcend that and just go to an outcome um, that is something that will be extremely it'll put your head in the pack and it'll definitely i did this youtube um, i think it's on youtube i think i did this uh, chat with sushant bora at uh, ydi where i talked extensively about what portfolio should be done and uh, in there it's i think it's still on youtube on the ydi channel so yeah that has a lot of this stuff as well uh, in great detail uh, excellent i hope my listeners are taking notes these are useful insights i think even david kelly of ido had mentioned that they look for t-shaped designers like you mentioned where they need to have a breadth of various skills but are masters at one skill and of course uh, they need to be able to get stuff done what are some of the future goals for analogy uh, what's in for the design landscape in india and globally um there's a lot of exciting things happening uh, darshan so we've always loved uh, exponential technology uh, be it ar or vr or uh, the metaverse now so we are moving to see how well we can fit in into that um and try to adapt and absorb a lot of this technology uh we are also building an exclusive team of um, tech um i won't say enthusiasts but technical people um mainly eeis and hardware uh, experts um building like a, a labs version of analogy where we um, are going to be designing some of our own products launching them through uh, crowdfunding and eventually put it on uh, for the rest of the world uh, that's going to happen in 2022 um there's also like i said if covid you know helps us or rather subsides down um and things open up obviously expansion for a couple more countries are also planned where we plan to open up uh, studios yeah i i think um, i think these are some of the new things that we are uh, exploring and uh, it's exciting i mean i can't wait for i mean we're talking on the 31st of december so i can't wait for uh, 2022 to start so coming um, week we've got our annual um, um, you know planning for objectives and goals that we're going to start with uh, for 2022 as well as um, you know working on some of these things that i just spoke about and making them a reality we're also bringing on some extremely uh, relevant and experienced advisors on board uh, who're going to help us navigate these spaces so i'm looking forward to a great 2022 uh, i think it's going to be amazing that's great vt thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast and talking with us today this was very insightful i have scribbled a lot of notes and doodles and i hope the listeners have done the same well wish you a great new year i'm looking forward to talking with you again someday maybe we can talk about a new product you may come out with well thank you so much vt thank you darshan thank you and it's been a pleasure um and like i said it's it's long overdue um for us to you know chat about uh, these things i know 
uh, things get busy in our world. Uh, but I think these kinds of chats and you know uh, just meaningful connections need to happen. So um, thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity to speak about this as well, and I wish you all the best.